0: We're joined in uh, this portion of our program by Dr. Ronald Kaplan. Uh, Dr. Kaplan, in his background, is an obstetrician, gynecologist, and medical author. Um, he is uh, joining us on our program. And his role specifically is the author of The Care of the Older Person, An Invaluable Resource for Care Providers. Now, just saying that title... Probably got a lot of people's attention as well. First of all, it's nice to have you join us on our program, Dr. Kaplan.
1: Well, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, when we talk about this idea of society getting older, and there are a lot of people in society getting older, because as many people say, you know, you want to get older because the alternative is not not the greatest thing to consider, um... For somebody who's taking care of someone who is an older person, how challenging an experience can that be?
1: Well, it can be very challenging. depends the way you look at it. Uh, right now, uh, there are 50 million of us, us including me, in uh, the United States alone, and uh, There's a predominance of uh, women over men in that statistic, and it can be challenging for a lot of reasons. Number one is uh, probably first and foremost is that traditionally retirement age is considered to be, uh, give or take, 65 years of age in our society. And the reasons for that are very interesting. Uh, Namely, about 150 years ago, a German diplomat uh, decided it was von Bismarck he decided that the uh, average age of death of his workers in Germany was about 67 so that if he retired them at 65 uh, with, a, with some kind of a bonus or payoff then he could hire younger people and come away with much less money because Of course, younger people started a a lower wage and then gradually worked their way up, or that's the way it was then. So we somehow, for 150 years, have kept this same idea in our heads, that at 65 you lay off people, and that's rapidly becoming obsolete. So people are looking at a loss not only of uh, some of their income and some of their livelihood what they've been doing for a huge proportion of their life, uh, people don't realize until they, until they quit or laid off or retired, they don't realize how much of their life is involved in their work, and especially if you find whatever work you're doing fulfilling and rewarding, as a lot of us do, thankfully. Uh, when that goes away from your life, it leaves an enormous void And that has to be filled. And yes, people have other activities, but they quickly find out that those other activities may not be as meaningful to them or as important to them as their work was. And they don't get the same level or feel that they get the same level of respect once they've left uh, the employed world. They, They don't feel that they matter as much. As far as their family goes, Uh, people inevitably get sick and unfortunately die, and that may mean that even though you may be 65 or older and healthy, uh, you may lose a spouse, you may have a sick spouse, you may have other things happening to your friends and, and relations, and you're losing contacts that have been lifelong contacts and that have been meaningful and loving to you, and you, as the years go on, can feel more and more isolated. I think I'm drawing much too bleak a picture here because a lot of us uh, develop a lot of other interests and do a lot of other things, like me talking to you on the radio, and you you find fulfillment in other ways. To be perfectly trite about it, uh, one one answer is to make a lot of younger friends, be be around younger people, because inevitably the people you're around are going to, in one way or other, wander off or disappear.
0: So when you're talking about that person or persons who are caring for someone who's older, I guess... What should they be keeping in mind to kind of keep things in perspective, especially as if they're just starting out in that role as a caretaker?
1: Well, it's really not as complicated as it sounds. The reason why we put out this book, and it's uh, put out by a, a group of people who are uh, very experienced academicians and clinicians who uh, are used to dealing with Uh, the older population, what we realized is, is that we bank up almost 20% of the population, and that's going up to around a quarter of all people in the next 10 or 12 years. That's a lot of people. And the, the geriatricians, the people who are most trained to take care of this population, of course, they can't take care of a quarter of, the population of the united states or uh, other countries so uh, what we realized is is we had to get information out into the field to everybody who takes care of older people And if you want to sum the whole thing up in uh, two sentences it's the golden rule do unto others the way you would like them to treat you and uh, we can we can see that uh, that if you're if you're kind and if if you're caring and if you want to spend the time and the energy to to help somebody who's older, uh, then you're a good person. And we like to think of ourselves as good people. And especially the people we're around who we love and we care about our relatives, our good friends that we've known for for a long time, as we grew up with, uh, it's, it's a natural thing to do to want to help those people. And if each of us did that, it would ameliorate a, a tremendous amount of, of what is a, a burgeoning problem. The other thing is, for goodness sake, don't be condescending. An older person, just because they may be getting a little frail and maybe a little forgetful, and maybe they tend to fall down here and there. That doesn't mean they're stupid. They have a vast life experience, probably better than yours if you're much younger than, than them. And they they know a lot of stuff. And not only that, they can sense how you feel towards them. The same way any of us can tell who's real and who's phony and who's who really has cares for us and who's really just there for some other reason for the money or or because they have to you want people around you who are genuinely caring and you have to understand that the person you're taking care of or helping is at least on the same level as you and maybe uh, intellectually even on a higher level because they've been around for so long and they know so many things uh, so they can, they can sense condescension. We can sense condescension immediately. We know who's trying to be nice to us uh, just to uh, uh, get rid of us or, or, uh, or uh, to come off as a nice person as opposed to being genuinely good. So it's, the most important thing is to be caring and not to condescend. And the rest of it is having a little knowledge of what's going on with the person you're taking care of and to know some signs and symptoms so that you can get them to appropriate medical help or whatever other facilities they need at the appropriate time mm-hmm. Another thing we're learning is don't institutionalize people unless you absolutely have to and Even if people have to move into a different type of living than they're used to, it doesn't have to be a a vast difference between what they're experiencing now and where you want them to be and where, in fact, they want to be. As a matter of fact, right now, besides things like retirement homes and residences, there's a whole middle layer of something called active aging communities this is for people who are uh physically adept and they're and they're mentally active and they uh, they don't need to be in some kind of a home all they need is is a, a nice place to be with with a lot of uh ability to do exercise and to have fun and to get together and, and to
0: pursue their lives. It is Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in a discussion. It's an interesting one with our guest on our program today, Dr. Ronald Kaplan. Dr. Kaplan is the author of The Care of the Older Person, an Invaluable Resource for Care Providers, He's going to be with us for our entire program this morning, and we roll until 7.30 when the NFL preview happens here on The Fan. Dr. Kaplan, in his background, is an obstetrician, gynecologist, and a medical author. He's spent the greater part of his life studying and treating medical conditions in a variety of ways that impact humanity. He's been a faculty member at two major universities, including the Joan and Sanford while Medical College of Cornell University here in the city and McGill University in Montreal, Canada. As I mentioned, he is talking with us on our program and he's going to join us for the entire program this morning here on the fan radio.com
1: radio.com. Radio. 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 Radio.
0: Interesting discussion that we are having on our program. We're talking with Dr. Ronald Kaplan. Uh, talking with him as the author of The Care of the Older Person, an invaluable resource for care providers. There's a lot of information as well at careoftheolderperson.com. One, one of the terms that we very often hear in discussions about older members of our society and their care and health issues that they deal with is this term dementia. But what is there that's known about, I guess the diagnosis of dementia and then how can you really address that with an older person? Because the incidence of this, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, Dr. Kaplan, but it just seems like this we're hearing about this more and more.
1: Well, you hear about it more and more because, first of all, there's a lot of information out there now with uh, the Internet and uh, people plugged into it and people being active on it that it's very easy to get a lot of information and misinformation very, very quickly. There's the media, but it is a real problem. Dementia is a nice Latin word. It means uh, basically cognitive decline. Your mental abilities are uh, declining, and uh, in most cases, even if it occurs, it's mild. Uh, Certainly, as you age, you lose a certain something, uh, je ne sais quoi, and things start to deteriorate in various areas. Uh, there's ways to uh, figure out what exactly is going on. If it's obvious that somebody is being forgetful or they're uh, they're disoriented uh, and. The the way to do it is to get the person to an appropriate professional who will do a test. Now, famously, uh, the the President of the United States, in his last physical examination, uh, for the first time in history, uh, I was shocked to hear this when I first heard it, was that they did a a cognition test, and it's something called MOCA, which is the uh, Montreal Cognitive Assessment. It came out of Canada, obviously, and it's a quick 10-minute test. It takes 10 minutes, and it's scored out of 30, and what they do on this test very simply is uh, some uh, writing things, uh, like you have to draw a cube, and you have to trace a path through a, a, a small maze, and you have to draw a clock, and then you have to identify some animals. Uh, in other words, name them. Uh, you have to uh, do a memory test. You get a small list of, uh, of four or five words, and you have to uh, repeat those words a couple of times. And then what the tester doesn't tell you is that five minutes later they're going to ask you, okay, now do you remember the names? Things like that. And uh, then they check your attention by having uh, you uh, read a a list of numbers and then you have to read them backwards and then you have to read a list of letters and you have to pick out certain letters. And uh, then it's interesting because if any of us was confronted with this test, like somebody just handed it to you and say, okay, or or they were testing you and they said, okay, start from 100 and count backwards by sevens. I like, think most of us say what we never count backwards <laughs> by 7 but that's what we ask these older people to do. So they say, "Okay, count backwards by 7." Sounds easy, right? Try it sometime. Mm. And then uh language they you know they ask you to uh, uh, to repeat a sentence and uh, then they ask you, "Okay, how many words started with the letter say F or something like that?" you sort of get the thing and then they do word association like what uh what's uh say what's a banana and an orange well it's it's fruit the last time i looked you know it's that kind of thing and then you have to uh by that time you've used up your five minutes and they come back to okay remember the list of words i told you what are they and that's like Without the person being aware that you were going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they didn't particularly keep it in their mind. And uh, then you score them. Each of these little tests gets uh, some points, and it all adds up to thirty. And if you do twenty six or better, uh, then you're then you're cool. And if you don't, well, maybe you should be watched. Now, if you go down more and you see something alarming, then obviously you need to start. Getting people to a neurologist and doing MRIs and checking out how their brain looks, and you may see. A, usually, if you do with somebody getting cognitive decline, you you may see a bit of brain atrophy, uh, shrinkage, and that. Uh, there's there's not a heck of a lot you could do with that. Uh, you start and then you start getting into, okay, what can this person functionally do, and what should they not be able to do you know we got a lot of people on on the roads these days who are god knows how old driving cars uh and uh unfortunately some of them get into accidents others can create accidents so you have to watch what you're doing and uh when you're older and you say your vision is going down you'll find that the license bureau is asking you uh more often to renew your driver's license. If your vision is going down, they may ask you to renew your driver's license every six months, depending what state you're in. So there are, there are aspects to this that lead to decisions that have to be made by the individual and the people around them to make sure that they're safe and that everybody else around them is safe. Uh, They may be responsible themselves for other people. They may be responsible for minors. There's huge numbers of grandparents in our society taking care of young kids. And uh, the parents are absent for various reasons. Work, army, uh, sometimes abandonment. Uh, So there's, there's all kinds of reasons why... Uh, Yes, uh, an older person as they get older and older may need help with various of these uh, aspects of their lives
0: Hmm. When we're talking about delirium what's the best way to both diagnose and manage it and what exactly is delirium?
1: Well delirium is is really what it is. is It's a it's acute brain failure. Uh, technically, that's encephalopathy, which uh, refers to sort of an inflammation of the brain. Generally, uh, when you're when you're delirious, you don't know who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and you belong in a hospital. You belong in an emergency room to begin with, and then you need supportive care until the delirium goes away. And unfortunately. As you get older, your chances of, uh, of losing your reserves enough that uh, you'll fall into that state when confronted with, uh, with uh, something uh, bad in your life, like a disease, like getting sick. Uh, maybe 15% of older people, when they come into hospital, uh, uh, experience some, some delirium. And uh, basically, uh, they're they're distracted, they're disorganized, their mental status is is changed. Either it's it's too alert or they're lethargic, they're diffic- difficult to arouse. So obviously, they belong in a hospital. And depending on the uh, on the multitude of causes, uh, you have to address. The cause, in other words, if it's some kind of an electrolyte imbalance, they need an intravenous. They need to have that corrected. Uh, if uh, if uh, they've had, uh, say, a catheter in their bladder, that you know you try to get that out as quickly as possible. But what they used to do with these people in the bad old days, which uh, we think of as the good old days, was that they they restrained them. Well, that's the worst thing you do for these people. It it exacerbates the problem. It makes them worse. And uh, you you really do not want to restrain people, if you know, if at all possible. That's somewhere you really medically don't want to go too
0: often. Interesting discussion that we are having on our program with Dr. Ronald Kaplan. He is the author of *The Care of the Older Person*, an invaluable resource for care providers. The book is um, what we're talking about in this uh, chat, Care of the Older Person, all is one word, dot com, the website. Now, are there things that can be talked about in the area of um, nutrition that I guess can be helpful for somebody who's trying to care for an older person? Yeah, well,
1: you have to look for the, the warning signs. Are are they uh, losing a lot of weight? Are they emaciated? Are they, are they weak? So you can sort of get the idea, maybe this person isn't eating too great. And uh, very often they're not, especially if they're alone and they're a little depressed. Uh, they eat whatever is around or they don't eat at all or they forget to eat or they lose their appetite. And basically it's the it's same old thing they need uh, they need protein they need they need carbs for energy uh, even a little fat here and there doesn't hurt contrary to a lot of popular opinion uh, they need uh, they may need vitamins because their diet is uh, is deficient in one way or the other just like uh, the sailors and the in in the the Middle ages uh, got scurvy because they didn't. They didn't eat uh, fresh fruit. They didn't have oranges. So you you have to watch all these aspects of it and just make sure they have a, a good balanced diet that works well with uh, with their weight. Uh, it's in a, you have. It's always a, a fine line because what our big problem in our society is not a lot of people walking around emaciated. Our big problem in our society is obesity. It's rampant. It's among teenagers. Everybody's sitting around looking at their computers instead of outside getting some fresh air and, and running around, which is what people should do, especially young people. But older people need that a
0: lot. Just hearing those words this morning makes me want to go and run up and down the steps a couple of different times during our next look around the sporting world. Well, we're in the discussion with uh, Dr. Ronald Kaplan. Hey, I've done it before. Uh, He is the author of The Care of the Older Person, an Invaluable Resource for Care Providers. Uh, Dr. Kaplan, as I mentioned at the beginning of our program today, is an obstetrician, gynecologist, medical author, and he's a faculty member at two major universities. He is talking with us about this idea of the care of the older person on our program. I think it's an interesting discussion. And um, we'll follow up on this last point and uh, talk about some other interesting areas with you as we continue this Sunday morning.
1: Radio.com. Radio.
0: radio. 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 Radio.com. It is Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in a discussion with Dr. Ronald Kaplan on our program. I hope you're enjoying our chat with uh, Dr. Kaplan Uh, by profession. He's an obstetrician, gynecologist, and medical author. Uh, He is somebody who's been a faculty member at two major universities, including the uh, Joan and Sanford Weill Medical College of Cornell University here in the city. Um, he's talking with us specifically as the author of The Care of the Older Person, an invaluable resource for care providers. Care of the Older Person, that's all as one word, .com is the website. There's a lot of information there along the lines of things that we are talking about in our discussion today. Now, Dr. Kaplan, one of the questions that often comes up when we talk about older folks and this issue of um, I guess it ties into the discussion you were talking about with exercise before our break. The whole issue of um, nutrition, weight, is it better to be thin or a little a little fat, for lack of a better term, as we age?
1: It, uh, our research tends to show that you're better off a little skinnier than a little fatter. You're better, so if you see somebody who's Old and they're slim, maybe they're just keeping themselves in shape. They don't need as much uh, food as, the, as they needed when they were younger because their metabolism isn't the same. And they are a bit slower. They've lost a few steps. Uh, their, their pace isn't the same. Uh, I mean, I see it in myself. I, uh, uh, people. Uh, I used to nobody passed me on the street when I used to be walking down the street. Now all kinds of people pass me when I walk down the street, and I look at them and say, "Geez, I should be able to keep up with that person." And uh, I walk a lot, so I I notice things like that. So you don't really need uh, as as much food when you're uh, uh, when you're older as when you were younger but you could still have a a proper balanced diet and and eat well in eat nourishing foods. So you can't just look at some older person and say, oh, well, they're just not eating right because they're skinny, uh, considering huge numbers of us are way overweight.
0: Mm. And I guess one of the things that often also comes up in discussions for people who are caring for somebody who's older gets into this whole area of medications that people take, because in our society there are people taking multiple and multiples of multiples of medications on a a daily basis. What advice can you give somebody who's in a situation where they're taking care of somebody who's, Dealing with having to take an awful lot of medications.
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, you know, it, it's it's called polypharmacy, is what uh, the medical term for it is. And uh, a colleague of mine who uh, uh, who uh, wrote specifically about this and is a professor of pharmacy, uh, she says that. Uh, uh, it takes one minute to prescribe a medication, but years to discontinue it. So a lot of the fault is uh, is with the medical profession, not willingly, but uh, that's going to get better, hopefully, because we have now huge databases, and it all gets into the problem of secrecy and keeping your your uh, information private, but especially in the medical area. But uh, people go from doctor to doctor and they pick up this medication Then another doctor gives them that medication and yes, when you walk into a new doctor's office, they always say to you, okay, fill out this paper. What medications are you taking? Well, if you're old and you're a little forgetful, or even if you're young and you're in a hurry, which all of us are, so you write down, okay, I take this, this, and this, but you forget that occasionally you also take that and the other thing, right? And So you write down a few of the medications. So the doctor looks at you and says, well, what you need is uh, this medication. And so you take that on top of all the other medication, right? If, if, there was a centralized database that when you walked into a doctor's office or into a hospital or any facility, you had a medical history that was universal for you and it was protected properly as your private information except when you released it and When you walked into that doctor's office, you wouldn't have to fill out any of these forms. you'd just write down "This is my name or a thumbprint or or an eye scan," and it would open up your information to that doctor who would then see everything you take and not prescribe a whole bunch of other stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, as you get older, you may not need a lot of the medication that you were taking to prevent certain things as you're getting older. Like, say you're 90, right? And uh, you're a little forgetful and your relatives walk in and there's pills all over the floor and there's... there's uh, medications uncapped in your cabinet, and uh, it, it becomes self-defeating because this older person can't even manage sometimes what they're supposed to take, when they're supposed to take it. They get up in the morning, they take a pill, and then, did I take it? Did I not take it? That can happen to you when you're younger. You could be 20 and not remember if you took your pill in the morning. The thing is that the uh, the doctors who are watching you will hopefully have the information they need to make sure you're not getting over medicated and also have the knowledge which we, we are trying to give them and, and impart that uh, to, to get people on not such strong medication, get them off medication. Uh, we do have, uh, of course, now in our society what's been labeled an opioid crisis. Uh, and, of course, yes, we have an opioid crisis. And, yes, there there is a, a, a massive problem, especially uh, with a lot of younger people who are taking drugs they're not supposed to be taking and all the implications, which you know about as well as I do, it's out there. But one thing I'd like to say is that there's a certain amount of cherry-picking. In other words, we decide as a society what's important and we're gonna focus on this. Okay? So you focus on one set of medications, say we're taking too much of that, but maybe we're taking too much of everything. So that mm-hmm. I think it's important to
0: look at that. The term elder abuse is one that we at times hear in our society. And you know, just saying that term probably gets a reaction from people listening to us?
1: Well, it certainly should, and it is a massive problem, and it's a, a very undisclosed problem, like a lot of really bad problems in our, in our society. They get underreported, like rape, for example. Uh, if, if you look at elder abuse, a lot of elders who are being abused and it's not only physical abuse. It, it could be psychological abuse. It could be economic abuse. Uh, that there's, there's a lot of ways to, to take advantage of an older person or take your frustrations or your rage out on some older person. It's really easy to do. They're vulnerable very often. They're not as strong as you. They're not as quick-minded very often as you. And you could do stuff to them that's bad. And rape happens to be one of them, okay? But that's a very extreme example. More often, it's, it's some kind of uh, psychological abuse, putting them down, being beyond condescending, uh, and uh, taking away their freedoms. You, you could hide their car keys, if, if they're entitled to drive, that's abuse, right? Most people wouldn't say, oh, you know, I think maybe you shouldn't go out today. So I hit his car keys. Is that abuse? Yes, that's abuse. If you take advantage of their money, well, there are hordes of people out there today trying to take economic advantage of old people. I mean, it, it's practically an industry, but on an individual basis. It, it's, if you're in charge of an older person, it can be quite easy to get into their uh, into their bank accounts, into uh, the money they have around. They may not be that adept at keeping exact track of what's lying around the house, their jewelry, their watch. It's, so, no, you don't have to beat on them to, and get that bad to to be classified as uh, being abusive to an older person. Mm-hmm. And then you get really down to the nitty-gritty of people who are physically abusive to older people, just as people could be physically abusive to a child, right? right. You have a weaker individual, you punch him in the mouth. it's, it's You know, it's, it's bullying. It's whatever it is, it's bad.
0: When we talk about people who are advanced or advancing in age and some of their health concerns. Where does depression fit into that discussion?
1: Well, depression is rampant in old, older people. And I, by rampant, that'll mean everybody's depressed. Uh, it may be, uh, given a range, say 15% of older people may be depressed, which is a lot, but you can consider the numbers, and why are you depressed? Well, first of all, there's the inevitability, what a word, of death, right? And most people don't focus on that, no matter how old they are. You know, everybody knows that there's a, a finite limit to their lives, but that's somewhere in the indefinite future, and the only people who have to focus on that are people who get a severe disease, like say they get a stage four cancer, and even with all the uh, incredible medicine that's being brought to bear on this, and it's getting better every day uh, through uh, through all this uh, enormous science that we have working on this today, that. Uh, If you get a certain stage four cancer, uh, the doctor may sit you down and will never tell you this, but if you specifically ask, or you could go on the internet and you'll look it up yourself and say, if you have X disease, your average lifespan is six months, right? Or whatever it happens to be, or two years, or whatever. So, and you look at that, and now you have a finite target. Well, that's enough to make somebody depressed, okay? But barring that extreme example, why are older people, as they get older and older, generally depressed? I touched on this earlier. If, if you don't have all the associations you used to have and all the interests you used to have, and you're doing all this stuff, and you're not physically active, uh, then you're you're very likely to have some degree of depression. Uh, You're lonely. You don't have a one-to-one relationship with somebody that's meaningful. And a lot of older people have lost uh, a loved one, a spouse, and they're alone. And now all of a sudden, at a vulnerable age, they're reduced to living this solitary life. Well, if that doesn't make you depressed, I don't know what will. So you got to get out there and and actively seek not to be there. And if the people around you see this, they should be actively intervening to help you to to be social and make contacts and live in the world. And otherwise, you're you're going to slide into depression and then of course it feeds on
0: itself. Dr. Ronald Kaplan talking with us on our program. This wraps up our first hour of our discussion. We're with you until 7.30 this morning. NFL preview happens then after our 8 o'clock update. It's Rick Wolf from the Sports Edge along here and that happens of course every Sunday morning here on The Fan. Radio.com Radio. Radio.com. It is Sunday morning on The Fan. Rick Wolf's along with the Sports Edge after our 8 o'clock update. NFL preview happens at 7.30 this and every Sunday morning, this time of the year, and of course after our 9 o'clock update. It's that fabulous football Sunday program that's along. Now there's reason enough for you to have that Radio.com app. I hope you've gotten that by now. If you want to follow along with Melusas and Deal. Fabulous show after nine this morning. We're in a great discussion with Dr. Ronald Kaplan on our program. At least I think it's a great discussion. Hopefully you do as well. He is an obstetrician, gynecologist, medical author. He's a faculty member at two major universities, including the Joan and Sanford Weill Medical College of Cornell University here in the city. And Dr. Kaplan talking with us as the author of The Care of the Older Person, an Invaluable Resource for Care Providers. Before our top-of-the-hour update and message, you you were talking about with older people how depression can set in. I want to touch more on that because you made a very interesting statement before we paused for our top-of-the-hour update, and that was you talked about the idea of depression setting in and how, if it is not addressed, Dr. Kaplan... Your words were that depression literally can feed on itself?
1: Because the more you're depressed, the more you withdraw, the less you exercise, the worse you eat, and then you just get more depressed. So the cycle has to be broken, and of course there are drugs for this. And again, getting back to the polypharmacy issue, Uh, It's very important to check that older people with the reserves they have aren't on too high a dose or too many
0: antidepressants. When you talk about the people who are caring for somebody who's an older person, is that typically a relative?
1: Well, very often it's a relative. If if they're... If the person is lucky enough to have a spouse, uh, that's the go-to guy. That's the person. Uh, The the corollary to all that is that usually they're both getting older, right? Right. And uh, there can be an age difference, and that age difference is critical because obviously a younger person is going to be much more adept at taking care of an older person than an older person who has all their own problems but generally two people leaning on each other it's like an A frame right it doesn't fall down so they they have this ability to take care of each other you see these adorable little old couples walking around and it's obvious that they're they're taking care of each other like totally and they do and they live they they can live very very long and then, of course, usually that goes along with that is family, children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and they get this uh, huge uh, uh, support system that's that's practically built in. So yes, very often it's a relative. Uh, there are, but there's every kind of permutation and combination of this. For instance. Uh, there may be children living at a distance, grown children, and one child becomes the go-to person to take care of that parent for various reasons. Maybe they live closer. Maybe they're the person that that generally tends to be caring more. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, but as the years go on, that person, that caregiver. Uh, can be prone to developing resentment towards the other siblings, for instance, who aren 't pulling their share of the load or just tossing some money at the situation as opposed to actually giving of themselves so the The complexities of this are enormous, and that 's why we need to get the information out to whoever is taking care of these people, too, so that they uh, they can be helped. And if you're helped by somebody close to you, I would say that most often that's much better than being taken care of by a stranger. I think most of us would agree to that.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the areas that's always interesting in situations like what we're talking about is trying to determine the older person's ability to really make some very key decisions whether it's things about their own medical treatments money a living situation
1: that is that is so so important and goes back a lot to what i was saying about elder abuse and uh, and uh, people taking advantage of of elder Elders, older people, mm-hmm. uh, monetarily getting their money and stuff. So it is important for people who are caring and who are taking care of older people to to know uh, whether they're capable of taking care of their own lives. And basically, it, it's it's common sense. Okay, you you'll, you. Assess in your own mind if that person, this person you're caring for, can understand information that they're going to need to make decisions. And uh, then they have to be uh, able to appreciate the significance of of that information uh, to their own situation. In other words, they have to know... uh, okay, uh, these are the facts and this is how much money I got and uh, these are the things I have to pay for, stuff like that. And then, of course, they have to be able to reason. So they have to weigh choices, right? I'm going to do this instead of that. I'm not going to do this and that or neither, like I'm not, you know, I'm not suddenly going to go out and buy a bunch of stuff that I don't need. And then, uh, uh, of course, that's the ability to choose, right? So if you, can, if you can understand what's going on, you could absorb information, you could appreciate that information, and then you, from that information you can make reasonable decisions, then you're competent. And that goes, uh, goes for just about anybody, young, old, or in between. Uh, you have to be able to, to do that kind of stuff. And so many people in our society, whether they're old or not, uh, don't seem to have that ability. I think it's important that you, you have your wits about you and you know uh, how to make choices in life that are uh, reasonable. So that's the way you can tell if somebody is capable of making their their own decisions and handling their their own things their own money whatever it is they own their own life situation uh, and then you could tell by general things uh, are they dressing properly are they eating properly that uh, that shows that there, there's a level of competence there. And from there, you go on to decide, well, okay, this person is okay with their own checkbook. They're, they're okay to go out shopping, uh, or in some cases, and uh, in some cases they're not, but let's be real, in most cases they are. They're perfectly capable of going out and going shopping and taking care of their affairs. So... It's it's the minority of people, certainly not the majority, who who need some kind of an intervention. Mm.
0: And sometimes that intervention comes in the area of taking away the person's ability to drive.
1: Yeah, and again, I'd say that's in a in a minority of uh, of cases, but inevitably you you will lose certain abilities. and And I think that it's important for the person themselves to make that decision as much as possible.
0: That was going to be my question to you. Why is that so important?
1: Well, I think that's important. That's why you don't get depressed. I think basically as adults, what, what we all treasure is our ability to make decisions for ourselves, if you really think about it. Mm. We're very used to decision-making, right or wrong, this is what I'm going to do. And usually there's some kind of rational basis for it, right? And, and then, okay, I did that. And in retrospect, it wasn't the greatest thing I ever did, but it was my decision. I can't blame it on anybody else. I did it and I'm living with it, and I'm okay with it, okay? Uh, it's, it's really very interesting that I've been having this discussion with some of my peers uh, who are just within the last 24 hours who are surgeons. To me, a surgeon is somebody, I always said, leave them laughing. In other words, when you walk out of that operating room for the last time, it should be at the height of your power. You should be the surgeon who who is great that last day. That last day you're operating, you should be right on the money. And uh, so, surgeons are people who are very aware of their visual acuity, of their hand-eye coordination, of their of their mental quickness. And if you see that in yourself starting to slip in the in the least way, or you're at some age where you say, okay, maybe I should call it a day, and I'll still be a doctor, but I'm not going back into an operating room.
0: It's Rick Wolf with the Sports Edge after our 8 o'clock update. Malusis and Deal along with the Football Sunday program after our 9 o'clock update. NFL preview is going to be happening momentarily good morning everybody this is Bob Solter we're in a discussion with dr Ronald Kaplan we'll wrap up our chat with him after our latest look around the sporting world Dr Kaplan the author of the care of the older person an invaluable resource for care providers radio.com
1: Radio. 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 radio.com
0: uh, we're in the home stretch of America's Fun Fest on Sunday mornings. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter, along after our top of the hour update at eight o'clock. Rick Wolf has the Sports Edge program. It's that fun time with the NFL preview gang that happens at seven thirty this morning, and along after our nine o'clock update. Well, things get fun, and fun gets turned up about two to three notches. With that Football Sunday program, Malusis and Deal Along, you don't want to miss that here you're on the fan. We are in an interesting discussion with Dr. Ronald Kaplan on our program. He's been with us since we started our show at 6 this morning. I'm Bob Salter Dr. Kaplan, the author of The Care of the Older Person, an Invaluable Resource for Care Providers. And we're talking about older folks and making decisions that are important and that are Basically, life changing, and sometimes making a decision to give up a career. Now, before our update and messages, one of the things that you mentioned, actually, this is the last thing that you mentioned, Doctor Kaplan, is something that probably got a lot of people's attention when you talked about the idea of some of your colleagues in the medical community making that decision not to go back into an operating room again.
1: And many of us have made that decision. We make it for ourselves. It's very, very rare, very rare, that the, the medical staff or, or the, uh, the governing board of a hospital or the uh, federal or state authorities have to come in and say, this guy's got to stop because he's a menace to society. And those are the, the things you read about in the paper hear about in the news. It's very, very rare, right? You know, it's it's most of us are smart enough and wise enough to make a decision that we're here to help people, and the day we feel that we're not helping people 100%, that's the day we walk. And we all make that decision voluntarily. It, it's an old concept, but a good one. So, yes, if if... At some point, you're on the road, right? And you're driving your car. And you say, geez, I'm not seeing too well here. So you stop driving at night. How many of us make that kind of a decision? Nobody tells us to stop driving at night, right? But you say, okay, maybe I'm not as good on the road as I used to be at night. A lot of people, younger people, love to drive at night. There's less traffic. The illumination is good. Uh, the truck drivers who are on the road are generally pros, so they don't do anything stupid usually. So it's a great time to drive. But at some point in your life, you say, "Okay, I'm not going to drive anymore at night," and you make that decision. Nobody makes it for you. If and if you're a, if you're. A, a wise person and you have your wits about you, then you make that decision. Again, it, I would say it's relatively rare that somebody has to take away your car keys and or that the state authority has to say, guess what? We're not issuing you a new driver's license, or worse, we're revoking your driver's license. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think that it's important for the individual and for the society, really, that we all have that freedom of choice and we make the right decisions for ourselves and for our friends and neighbors and and the greater society, that what we're here for is to do good, not harm. And now, if you're in the situation, I think the other thing that maybe you're getting to, so maybe I'll get to it first, is that I think we should all be prepared for eventualities that might happen to us, a hospitalization, a major sickness, death. Mm -hmm. So many people uh, die without a will. Make a will. Make sure that there's some kind of an orderly transition. Give a power of attorney, maybe, to somebody you really, really trust. You'd better be sure you really trust that person if you're giving them a power of attorney. And it... And it could be limited or, or it, it could be unlimited, depending. And it could be a, the type of power of attorney that only comes up, uh, say, if you are in a debilitating sickness, then that person is not allowed to take over until you're hospitalized and some doctor has attested to this, something like that. And, you, and we should all have, you should have something called a living will. You should be able to, even if you're unconscious, that uh, there doesn't have to be a huge discussion about whether to keep you alive interminably or let you go. I think these are things reasonable people can do, and you'd be amazed how many people don't do that. Maybe a majority don't do do all those things.
0: Most interesting discussion. Our guest very kind with his time, Dr. Ronald Kaplan, the author of the Care of the Older Person, an invaluable resource for care providers. Care of the Older Person, dot com. What's your hope for those who read the book?
1: I just hope enough people read this book so that we can be assured that that older people out there and like I say, there's 50 million of them, and that's growing, that everybody who's older, somebody around them has the information they need to take care of that person and uh, to love them up and to know when to intervene and to know when to get them to a doctor. And uh, that, that's, I think... Uh, If we accomplish that, then we've really accomplished something.
0: Dr. Kaplan, thank you very much for your kindness with your time and uh, the information you've shared with us. I know this information is very valuable for the folks listening to us this morning, too.
1: Well, I really appreciate it, and I I really appreciate you getting this information out there because I really think it's important.
0: Thanks. Speaking of information that's important, it's... Now, there's a segue for you. The NFL preview is a (laughs) long... In moments after our 8 o'clock update, it's Rick Wolf with the Sports Edge program. And after our 9 o'clock update, Football Sunday Time with Melusis and Deal, it's a fun day and an informative day as well. Make sure you stay right where you are. There's only one spot to be on Sunday mornings, it's here on the fan.